guys, I'm Kristen and this is Carla. Hi! Join us as we explore origin stories and fun facts or something. at the beginning of every episode let's Why do it not? yeah let's do it it's the all singing podcast hello yeah history. guys nothing's going on in my life at all <laughs> same here why are we so boring i don't know what's happening richard <laughs> <laughs> that is one of my all-time favorite <laughs> moments from tommy boy the movie tommy boy if you guys haven't yes. watched it you need to go watch it immediately yes it's the funniest thing, and it's right yes. when after he does the fat guy in the little coat song, which is what everybody references, and it is hilarious in its own, right? Right. But the thing that when I very first saw that movie that made me almost die from laughter was when he, like, rips the coat, and then he says, what's happening, Richard? I don't know why it made me laugh so hard. Is that so he hard. says that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I'm thinking of the motel scene where he's like, don't run away from your feelings. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that whole movie is so classic. It is and like... it holds up. It right? really does. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah. Lots of people go to school for seven years. Yeah. They're called doctors. <laughs> We're going to just quote oh, the whole movie. We could just... I seriously could quote that entire movie. It's <laughs> so funny. <laughs> So finish listening to this episode and then go watch Tommy Boy. Yes, do it. But first, rate, review, and subscribe. <laughs> All right, should we just jump right in since we're both boring and have nothing happening? <laughs> <laughs> you know you want to. Yes. Okay. Yes, All right. What's your topic this week? Um. Okay. So. I okay this kind of leads into it I just have to share with everybody if you haven't heard the like sound um thing that they created for the black hole like you know how scientists will like convert things into sound for space like so you can hear things there's one for the black hole what at black hole sound like? the mouth of hell it is a nightmare <laughs> it is a nightmare oh, no. so everyone google or you go to, to youtube whatever black hole sound i'm it not is, gonna listen to that you have to don't it's don't epic. Me. it's a nightmare you have to that's so scary like it's as if it's not scary enough already do you need to make right? it sound so scary or I'll be sucked I'm into sorry. a black hole. Well, it can it sort of sounds like if you were in a room and there's like muffled voices on the outside, but in a creepy, creepy. hellish way. Ew. Yeah, I'm telling you. That's anyway. crazy. Okay. I love it. Um, but anyway, <laughs> so think space, right? Okay. And then I saw an article, uh, a Gene Roddenberry biopic Ooh. is in the works from Roddenberry Entertainment with his son Rod producing with Trevor, Trevor Roth. Um, his so son's name is Rod? Rod Roddenberry? His working name. His oh. official name is Eugene, like Gene. It's like a family name, but oh, he goes okay. by Rod. Yeah. Okay. Um, Interesting. And in 2021, Gene Roddenberry would have been 100 years old. No way. 
And another random fact to get us all warmed up is Star Trek merch alone has reportedly brought in some $5 billion. Whoa. So it's two for one. We're doing Origin of Gene Roddenberry and Star Trek, his biggest, most popular, amazing creation. <laughs> okay. Yes, it's a geeky topic. Amazing. But... I'm so excited. Also, I'm <laughs> very um, ashamed to admit I didn't know that he created Star Trek. That's okay. I don't think a lot of people would know. I knew because he everyone was thinks Star Trek sci-fi writing. I knew that, mm-hmm. like big sci-fi well, writer, but I didn't really know any of his work. And I always was like, oh, I need to. Kind of wasn't. No, he was, but he wasn't. You might be thinking of what's that other guy's name? I always forget the other guy. The, the other famous, the big sci-fi guy. <laughs> yeah, there's <laughs> another guy. Name. Yes, there is, but I always, and I would get him mixed up with Gene Roddenberry, too. Okay. Always. Okay. That's not, I don't think it's the same guy that you're thinking Okay, of. maybe I'm thinking about the other guy then. Okay. Yes, and I know who you're talking he's about, he's an actual writer of, like, novels yes. and stuff. Yes. Yeah. It's that guy. Who I know that's that not guy? the. Okay, so I know, Gene I, Roddenberry I, I used is to know his TV name. writing, then? For the most part. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Crazy. And I remember as soon as I saw Gene Roddenberry the first time when I saw it associated with Star Trek, I thought, hey, it's that guy. Yeah. The writer. And it's <laughs> not. Hell is that guy? I forgot. It's that famous name. <laughs> it's gonna like It'll come to us and I'll just yeah. scream it out at some point Good. in your topic. <laughs> okay. So once again, oh my gosh, lecture. I'm so excited. People, please don't turn away. I know Star Trek's like not everyone's cup of tea, but this is something that's really big in entertainment history yeah tv history movie history and i think it's like there's no harm in like learning about it right whatever if you sat through clothing sizes i think you can sit through star trek <laughs> <laughs> and i'm not at all i wouldn't call myself a trekkie or trekker i'm not i enjoy one series of the show and a couple of the movies but i'm not like i, I don't just, really know anything i grew up with star trek like that's what right. we watched because my dad and my brother loved it so Every mm-hmm. weekend at my dad's house, we would watch Star Trek mm-hmm. and it was just this thing. And it was, there was such an, like, they did such a good job of making the stories easy to follow and yeah. the characters endearing and had the characters have their own side plots and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like it was just anyone, so good. Yeah. And if anyone out there has like kind of shunned it or whatever, as like, it's going to be too techy or nerdy or whatever, it's actually quite human yeah. show and the creators you'll find out it was very much about the human character side of these like right great... which totally comes through because there isn't i don't mm-hmm. find that there's that much focus actually on the tech side and even I think if it is it's like they just rattle it to. off and you can yeah. ignore it <laughs> yeah it's like they didn't know what nacelles are or warp drive well i'm sure they did Somewhere well, I'm sure like somebody sweating. did at some point, but that's <laughs> yeah. more like the fans that kind of took it upon exactly. themselves to create that yeah, side yeah. of it, right? But none of that you have to know. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, this anyway. is exciting. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I actually don't know anything about Gene Roddenberry because we clearly mistaken him for somebody else. Um, <laughs> but let's start with his life. <laughs> okay. Because I, my big thing was like, okay, so I watched Star Trek Next Gen recently, all of it. Yeah. And... I was like, who created this show? What were his politics? Like, what? who was it? Yeah. That was my driving force here, right? Okay. So he was born in El Paso, Texas on August 19th, 1921. Hey, that's Greg's birthday. Not 1921. <laughs> yeah. He's 100 years old. <laughs> and my friend Kayla's birthday. Crazy. What? Yeah. 
August 19th? Yeah. He's in August birthday? Gray? That's me. Yeah. I know all the, most Im- all the most important people in my life are Leos. They're all in August. Yeah. You got a diversified girl. I know, anyway. right? <laughs> His parents were Eugene and Caroline Roddenberry. Um... Two years later, so 1923, the family moves to Los Angeles where his father was given a police commission there after passing the civil service test. Okay. Um, so I'll be quoting a bit from this book called The 50-Year Mission, The Complete Uncensored and Unauthorized Oral History of Star Trek. <laughs> but it actually is a good source of stuff. I was laughing. I didn't okay. notice the unauthorized until way that. later. And I'm like, oh, God, what did I do? Anyway. <laughs> Um, it all corroborates, but there's all kinds of sources, time and history and Smithsonian. Like you guys, Star Trek is so well covered. Mm. I apologize to any fans who are like, you're wrong. Correct me. (laughs) Go for it. I do not know. I learned all of this in like two days. (laughs) Um, so if anyone wants to learn more, go. Although I actually, you guys, I have to say this, I actually stumbled on a conspiracy website without realizing it because it sounded like a legit (laughs) article and i'm reading it and i'm like oh oh (laughs) full-on conspiracy i'm like no wow i've never had that before i've never found a website that was genuine conspiracy i'm like oh me neither um they're like the secrets you they won't let you know or won't let us know or something i'm like if this was such a conspiracy you would be shut down you moron (laughs) yeah like you can't like, have you a website to make that's website? that easily found. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was so, this is such a complete side note, but it makes me totally think of, I was looking, um, I'm like planning a trip for my mom and I to Africa. And I was looking on this, like, um, in this Facebook group specific to this area Yeah. earlier today. And somebody posted <laughs> in there this, like, posting. They were responding to somebody's thing, but then it, they started talking about, like, the Illuminati, and they started talking. It sounded very oh, no. much, like, in code word and said something, oh, and then somebody no. responded to them. I'm like, what's happening? This is the weirdest post I've ever seen. It was so strange. Oh, man. And I was like, are people, the next do people actually podcast. do that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're going to investigate code language. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or not. Or not. Um, okay, so Gene said himself about his childhood, he was an asthmatic child and he loved Tarzan and he dreamed of having Tarzan's strength to leap into trees and throw mighty lions to the ground. Uh-huh. In my whole thing, I kind of want to set a picture of like maybe where Star Trek was born in his mind. Right, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so he, Gene also shared a story about a boy in his class, um, which I think starts showing a glimpse of the human side of gene here so that sounds dumb the humanitarians i don't know there was a boy <laughs> in my class who li- who life had treated badly he limped he wheezed he was a charming intelligent person because of being unable to do many of the things that others were able to do he had sort of gone into his own world of fantasy and science fiction he introduced me to science fiction and this part's funny. I then discovered in her neighborhood, living above a garage, an ex-con who had come into science fiction when he was in prison. <laughs> he introduced <laughs> me to more sci-fi stuff. By the time I was 12 or 13, I uh, was very much into the whole science fiction field. That's so, so weird. And also, <laughs> what are you doing but hanging remember, out with this adult ex-con? Um, Simpsons, the, the, mili- the military guy with the one arm. The, oh, the yeah. Simpsons character. Yeah, and how the kids befriend him and they have that weird, like, 
little oh battle in the streets. That's true. And I'm like, this sounds okay. like borderline creepy though. Like, did he also oh. touch you in your bathing suit area? Because um... I don't know. Back then, I kind of feel like it was a little different. Obviously, that happened too. But like, yeah, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> true. So, um, he grows up. He finishes school. Um, Gene studied police science at Los Angeles City College, and he became interested in aeronautical engineering. Whoa. He then got his pilot's license through the United States Army Air Corps. Is it Corps? Like what you pronounce yeah. it like that? Okay. Yeah. Sponsored civilian pilot training program. He did the training program, and then he, um, I guess, enlisted, actually, in this Army Corps thing, and he worked his way up to become a second lieutenant. So okay. he kind of... So, Army guy. Okay. Um, during World War Two, he flew apparently 89 combat missions as oh, the pilot man. of a B-17 bomber. Um, and he was awarded the Distinguished Flying Cross and the Air Medal. So, let's remember, military, keep that in mind. Right. Okay. Okay. August 2nd, 1943, while flying some plane out of some island, the plane overshot the runway. He crashed into the trees and two men were killed. Oh my God. But Roddenberry was absolved of any of the responsibility. Okay. He spent the rest of his career in the U.S., apparently. Um, and he flew, quote, he flew all over the country as a plane crash investigator. Which Ooh. I think is another telling thing about his character, right? Yeah. Like, even though he was absolved, he's yeah. now an investigator. I think it's, is he doing it to, like, kind of be like, you know, double down on, like, I'm innocent? Or is yeah. it a more human thing of, like... I want to help people. Anyway. Yeah, he wants to make sure stuff like that doesn't happen yeah. again kind of thing. Right? Whatever, yeah. right? Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Um, He was involved in a second plane crash, this time as a passenger. So that happened after. Um, After he came back home, he became a civilian pilot for Pan American World Airways in 1945. No so way. So two's done. He's crashing okay. all over the place. Comes and he's like, I'm going to work for Pan Am. <laughs> <laughs> Um, in 1947, he experienced yet another crash when the Clipper Eclipse came down in the Syrian desert. He suffered two broken ribs, but could save some passengers by dragging them out of the burning plane. Oh, 15 God. people out of like 30 something died. Um, and some guy apparently died in his arms. So it's like oh. a lot of... Whoa, trauma. Trauma, yeah. He okay. resigned from Pan Am um, in 1948. And apparently the Pan Am time is where he was really starting to be interested in television, right? Okay. I mean, it's 40s, so it's not like it's everywhere, right? But he's yeah, kind of yeah. like, hmm. And then writing specifically, he okay. was also kind of getting into. So I couldn't find anything else about, I knew he was getting into reading science fiction, but yeah. I couldn't quite find like more than that about when he what got him writing. What got him writing. Which is kind of well, disappointing. And I mean, maybe it's just as simple as like he he you know had that imaginary world in his head and like right and he just couldn't going through the, the war to... and all these traumatic right. experiences he's processing it in some way right so mm -hmm. i would imagine he maybe yeah. turned to writing in that way Could yeah be. that's true it's like the tolkien thing right with lord of the rings um yeah. so anyway he's crashing all over the place in airplanes and he's like <laughs> i'm gonna write for tv <laughs> the next logical step <laughs> <laughs> as you do um, go from one plane crash to another <laughs> in 
1949, he applied for a position with the Los Angeles Police Department. Um, to, so he goes in his father's footsteps, right? Okay, yeah. And he spent some time in the traffic decision, division before being transferred to the newspaper unit. The, the newspaper unit? Uh-huh. So, what is that? Okay. So this became okay. the public information division. Oh. And Roddenberry okay. became the chief of police's speechwriter and also wrote the LAPD <laughs> newsletter, The oh, Beat. Wow. <laughs> the Beat. Oh, that's so fun. <laughs> oh my god, I love how like outraged I was. I'm like the newspaper division. I know. <laughs> what the hell? It's like, oh obviously, dummy. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, man. at this time. He was doing media stuff for the LAPD. I guess that's before they got really bad or something. I don't know. Weren't they super Who knows? corrupt? Probably. In the 80s. Oh, they were. Or the 70s yeah, yeah. and 80s. They were bad, yeah. weren't they? Yeah. Um, oh, big time, yeah. He still had dreams of breaking into television. And according to one article, um, the industry had become, the TV industry had become stable enough to support ambitious newcomers. So, <laughs> okay. Like, yeah, he actually had a chance, right? His first big break was when Ziv... ZIV television productions approached the LAPD in their search for a technical advisor for their TV show Mr. District Attorney. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. District Attorney. I know. Why don't they have names like that for TV shows anymore? I, I love it. Just tell us exactly what it is. Right? Who are you? Roddenberry... I'm Mr. District Attorney. <laughs> I'm bringing the name. law and order. I guess law and order is exactly what it says it is. <laughs> Nothing's going to beat Mr. District Attorney. Oh my gosh, I love it oh and I want to watch it now. Right? <laughs> Sounds super boring. <laughs> but I'm like into it. <laughs> I know who would watch it's Every day it's just him doing paperwork. <laughs> Mr. District Attorney with his Mr. Filing Clerk. <laughs> They're fighting crime. And making notes. <laughs> oh my gosh, I can't. <laughs> Mr. Filing. What did you call him? Filing? Filing oh, clerk. Oh, I almost called him Filing Cabinet. <laughs> That's the cartoon version. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so they approached the LAPD. They're like, we need a technical advisor. Stat. <laughs> Roddenberry was on it. And he's like, and then he became a writer on the show. But he used the pseudonym Robert Wesley. I was laughing because for anyone who doesn't know, Wesley Crusher is a character on one of the Star Trek shows. That's hilarious. Yeah. Um, So throughout the 50s, he's writing, like, so he got his foot in the door and he's writing for TV shows like Dragnet, Dr. Kildare, and some show called Have Gun Will Travel. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. And Highway Patrol. Oh my gosh. So like all the police ones. Yeah. By 1956, he realized he couldn't be both a writer and a policeman. So June 7th, 1956, he resigns from the force and focuses on writing. Whoa. Right. So while working for Ziv, he pitched some shows. Um, None of them are really taken or whatever it's called. Yeah. What's it called? Greenlit. Greenlit. Um, Because, well, this is where some difficulties start. You'll start hearing these little blips and stuff about his... He usually wanted full creative control. Um, <laughs> okay. So people are kind of like, that's not happening. That's not a thing in TV, TV land. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, but still, you know, he kept writing. Um, 1958 was a bit of a turning point. He wrote an episode for a show for the show How the Animal Travel, which won the Writers Guild of America Award for Best Teleplay. Whoa. 
I know, moving on up here. Yeah. He was pitching away to CBS and ABC and just anybody, all the networks. He's like, I'm awesome. Give me a... No, he didn't say that. So um, <laughs> at around this time, Roddenberry, another clue about his character, Roddenberry was asked to write a series called Riverboat set in 1860s Mississippi. When he discovered that the producers wanted no black people on the show, he argued so much with them that he lost the job. Whoa. Yeah. And this sets up some stuff with Star Trek. Mm-hmm. I like that. So he ended up working with another company called Screen Gems. He worked on another pilot. It wasn't picked up. By 1961, he left Screen Gems. And he also, around that time, uh, leaves New York. He was living in New York. And he goes to L.A. with his first wife. Okay. And this so at is some where point he, starts... he had moved from L.A. to New York at some point. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, sorry. I okay. don't know when that happened. Yeah, yeah. Oh, during the yeah. military, it's something about New Jersey. Anyway. Okay. He starts discussing this idea of a multi-ethnic crew on an airship traveling the world, which was based on the film that he saw called Master of the World. And this movie is based on a Jules Verne series of novels, or maybe two novels. I'm not sure. And I skimmed the synopsis, and Vincent Price, he plays this guy who's, like, adamant about creating peace on Earth, and he's, like, destroying all the, like, war-making means, like, from all these cultures where he's like, you're not going to start a war, and he apparently has <laughs> all this militaristic power. And you don't get a bomb. <laughs> yeah, exactly, because we're going to be peaceful. You got it, right? Yeah. Apparently. And I'll make it happen by force if I have to. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> like wait what what it sounds like yeah (laughs) at the end of the movie he orders his crew to abandon ship but they choose to ignore his final order oh hint hint for any yeah and gather in his quarters while he reads from the bible reminding them of their pledge to try to rid the world of war the ship crashes though and they're all dead or something that's it (laughs) (laughs) there were captives at some point it's the whole thing oh my gosh (laughs) so anyway no one was really digging sci-fi for TV, so he began working on a different show called The Lieutenant. Um, this show actually made it into the NBC Saturday Night lineup, um, premiering in 1963. It was a rating success for that time slot. Um, it's like three in the morning. What a hit! <laughs> yeah. And he on this show, he actually met and worked with a lot of cast and crew who would later join him on his Star Trek project, oh, cool. so like Leonard Nimoy and Nichelle Nichols and Majel Barrett and or Majel I don't know how to say her name but no way yeah so this show I have to add this it's a bit of a detour thing but um the lieutenant okay the show was produced with cooperation of the pentagon so they could actually film at a marine base whoa but Roddenberry clashed with the department of defense over some plot and the department of defense was like no we're out we're not backing this anymore so this Roddenberry went ahead with this episode and in it, it involves a white man and a black man finding a common cause in their role as Marines. Oh. So, and so I think this like was big Nichelle Nichols' first stuff. role. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So Nichelle Nichols, she plays, oh, what was her name? Uhura in the right. old original show. Yeah. Um, he apparently had a relationship with her. So Really? 
at one no point. Way. Yeah. Whoa. While he was married. So let's just. Oh, no. <clears throat> Gene Roddenberry. Mm-hmm. And while have... he was having an affair with another lady oh, who later God. becomes his wife. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Oh, you know. boy. Like, he's I a big was fan of judge like, race harshly. relations, but not a big fan of monogamy. Yeah. <laughs> There's stuff later. Yeah. And it's hard for me to judge. Like, I used to be so judgmental of, like, extramarital thing. I think it's gross if you don't tell people. But what if there was, like, an open relationship situation? I don't know. Fine. Yeah, yeah. Right? That's true. So I don't want to judge that. Yeah. Because it's not actually very clear. It almost sounds open. Yeah. But someone else that I'll talk about later has different opinions. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Anyway, Lieutenant lasted one season. And... He's like, I'm going to go back to some of my older ideas. So on March 11th, 1964, he worked out a 16-page pitch. And on April 24th, 1964, he sent three copies and $2 to the Writers Guild of America to register his series. He called it Star Trek. Mm, Cool. Okay, so I know I'm kind of running out of time. I'll try to go fast as possible. But I wanted to get into the philosophy. So these are just random tidbits I found. And I shoved them under the heading, philosophy. (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) All right. The series Star Trek was born in the midst of the turbulent 1960s and often reflected and commented on the issues of that divisive, divisive? 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 I don't know. I think that could be either. Mm -hmm. Uh, So like the Vietnam War, civil rights, Cold War politics, the budding environmental movement. So there's a lot happening politically and everything, right? Also crazy that, like, the environmental movement was, like, such a thing at that time, and we did nothing about it. <laughs> I know. Well, we didn't and save also, the whale. And also, like, you know, civil rights was a big thing at that time, and we've done and nothing still about not. it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sexism. Also done nothing. Yeah. Congratulations, Congratulations. humans. Congratulations. We don't change. <laughs> yeah. Or barely. <laughs> so... Uh, okay, this it's a little hard to go in a chronological order, so I'm going to kind of be going a little bit back and forth because I think what I was most interested in, again, is who created Star Trek, what was their belief system right. to make this show. Love right? it. Yeah. So something he said, um, like it says here, uh, how Roddenberry expressed the show's message is, we must learn to live together or most certainly we will soon all die together. Right? Oh, so it's very okay. much like about, yeah. He also wanted to challenge and stimulate the audience while also entertaining them. Okay. Right? Yeah. But this is something he also said. Television was so tightly censored that science fiction was the only way to escape the taboos in politics, religion, or anything else that was controversial. I really don't consider myself a science fiction writer, but I'm interested in what's happening on this planet and what may happen. In our society, we're treating man less and less like an individual and more like a social organism. Um, he was raised as a Baptist, um, but as an adult, he rejected religion. A lot of people, he said, at some point he said he was a humanist. Mm -hmm. Um, I had to Google humanist. The definition changed over the year, like over time, right? Right. Basically, it's about like dignity of human beings and relying on science and logic over, uh, like, some supernatural right 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 agent or thing right like so yeah and if you know anything about the original show there's like kirk who's very passionate and like honorable and he tries to do the good moral thing and then there's spock who's all about like logic and right his second in command right so it's like this like it's the constant balance Um, and the constant like right like um yeah our struggle between the two right in a way exactly and the way he can kind of disguise some of that is like you know 
Spock is an alien, half Vulcan, half human, yeah. I think. And so he's still an alien working with a human, right? So but see, that's what fun. I love so much about sci-fi and like, mm-hmm. like about Terry Pratchett, like fantasy stuff where it's like, yeah. you don't have to be into that stuff. It's, it's satire. It's about our lives right now. It's about humans. Yes, it's about society exactly. as we are now, but they're able to point out different things because they're in the realm of stuff where you can make anything up you can make up yeah you know some robot person or some alien like yeah creature or whatever you can make and it's different not threatening no right? it's not someone judging you saying you're stupid for it's just a this. commentary just a discussion yeah 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 exactly yeah that's um, interesting he said himself that he rejects religion um but he accepts the notion of god like so he has his okay. own had his own concept of a god right like okay he, yeah so um Apparently, he was staunchly anti-capitalist, but people say he was involved in, like, a hugely capitalist type of thing with the, like, you know, market, uh, like, merchandise and marketing. And right. TV but I mean, how general. can you not be, like, yeah. just because you're doing it doesn't mean that you, like, yeah. you can still kind of be against it. You can still I wish mean, life. Yeah, exactly. I don't love capitalism, but I'm also going to go work in a job and make a ton of money so that I can right. live the life I want to live, you know, because yeah. <laughs> you have to, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Know. Um, he was all about inclusivity, but he, some people think, well, his anti-religion stance wasn't very inclusive, right? But he just didn't like organized religion. So I don't think that's, yeah, I know. Yeah. And, um, he was all about equality. And again, people might argue, well, if he's treating women kind of like, you know, but he actually (laughs) defended, he wanted, oh, you know what? I'll say that there's a really good point about equality, but okay. Sorry, were you going to say something? Oh, no. I just, I, I get so frustrated with stuff like that because I'm like, okay, fine. Just because, like, if somebody's standing for something and they're doing the best that they can to stand for that, it doesn't, mm-hmm. like, they can still stand for that without being 100% perfect at embodying mm-hmm. it. Right? Plus and the I times. Get so frustrated. There are limitations. Look at the times. Yeah. If it's the 60s, 50s, whatever. Like, I'm not excusing bad behavior, but it, which no. was, you know, like, but... Still, but, like that was quite a leap, especially talking yeah. about like censorship at that time and all of those mm-hmm. things that were going on. Yeah. It's like that's a big deal to have this multicultural cast with mm-hmm. like all these different oh, yeah. topics that they're bringing up and talking about and exposing. And, you know, like yeah. that's a big deal. It's not nothing. <laughs> you exactly. Know? I yeah. know. So, um, one article actually put it kind of nicely. They're like, if you're a Star Trek fan, the future it presents has always been part of its appeal. That humanity will unite as one while celebrating our differences, put war and hatred and discrimination and poverty behind us, and dedicate our lives to bettering ourselves through discovery among the stars. Mm-hmm. And, like, that kind of sums up, I think, yeah, the appeal of the show, where yeah. it is very human, right? Yeah. And hopeful. Very hopeful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... because all of, just very quickly, for people who yeah, don't yeah. know with Star Trek, like, all of it was like almost these humanitarian missions like peacekeeping missions almost mm-hmm. like where they're out there just trying to help these other things and the only time yeah. that they attack anybody is if they're being attacked by these like bad aliens or right. whatever right exactly or they like they need to save some like planet who like they're being decimated yeah. or whatever it is like and then those so... allegories that moral thing of like okay do we intervene do we not intervene exactly with this 
Yeah, like if we intervene, then they're dependent on us or they have Mm -hmm. to live up in space because their planet is destroyed so they can never go back. You know, like they brought up (laughs) all those questions. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So another quote from Jean, I believe in humanity. We are an incredible species. We're still just a child creature. We're still being nasty to each other. And all children go through those phases. We're growing up. We're moving into adolescence now. When we grow up, man, we're going to be something else. (laughs) (laughs) I, I hope. Although adults don't become better, so I'm not no. sure that was. I, I like that. I, I like that he said that though, because that is an interesting way to think about humanity, like humans yeah. as a species, because we are so yeah. young, right? Uh-huh. That we are kind of in that child stage where we're a little exactly. shits to each other, and yeah. you know, like <laughs> maybe making there really will bad be better decisions, you know. Mm-hmm. But we have to go through the teenage phase before we get to any other kind of clarity, which (laughs) is unfortunate. (laughs) Um, So you you guys can look into it, but it's kind of neat. He has this whole theory of like from our time to like when Star Trek takes place, which is around, I'll get to that later, the date. It's like it's a few hundred years ahead. Right. Um, He has this whole backstory of like, the world going to hell and this and that and everybody's just fighting and killing and so it's kind of interesting oh my gosh he has a whole can... like i kind of wondered about that mm-hmm. because it, they never there are some holes do they talk about it? it people are a little bit not sure but like he did fill in you know um should i just read it it's really short it's kind of cool it. okay so in fact this quote in fact before the glorious future of kirk picard starfleet and the federation gene imagined an absolutely horrible 21st century one even worse than our own at least so far it culminates with world war three in 2026 obliterating 600 million lives in a nuclear cataclysm the global order devolves into a patchwork of warlords who meet out swift justice in kangaroo courts mm-hmm. one genocidal madman a colonel green a character gene created for the original series in 1969 is hellbent on killing all those suffering from radiation poisoning following the fallout. On The Next Generation, Picard even says that Earth remained in chaos until the early 22nd century. Whoa. Cool. Right? I had no idea. crazy that that's only four years away. But that would have been like... Oh, yeah. When you hear about it, like if he created that in like the 60s or whatever, that's like way in the future. But the way the world is going right now, I'm like, you know what? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe wrong here. But look at all of sci-fi. Like everything that's happening and that has happened, there you can find old sci-fi writings about it. Yeah. And it's not that it's prophetic. It's just that they pay attention and they can kind of, they're good at like, the good writers, they're good at kind of predicting human nature in that way because... But that's they, no, the just thing. Look at history, right? Human nature, because humans are not right. that complex. Like, no, really, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> we're very stupid. It's not that hard to predict where we're headed. <laughs> <laughs> um, just coming back to the desire, his desire to challenge racist views of the time. Um, so his decision to cast African American actress Nichelle Nichols as Uhura, a senior bridge officer, mm. was radical at the time. So on the bridge, that's just where all them senior people go. So it's the captain, number one, and that kind of thing, right? Yeah. And so for her to be there, right? Yeah. It's huge. And she it's actually so... thought about leaving the show. Sorry, quickly. Yeah. She thought about leaving the show after, I think, season one. Whoa. But she actually encountered Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. himself at an event, and he told her that her role was representation, so valuable that she should stay. 
no on the show. No way. Yeah, isn't that crazy? I know. I'm like, what? That's so cool. It's also like, that crazy. That mind-blowing. Because I watched that as a kid. I mean, obviously reruns because, you know, right. it wasn't alive when it first aired. But, um, <laughs> and that was like not that big of, I remember it not being a big deal to me. Right. Right? Like, yeah. that's kind of like, okay, whatever. You yeah. know, but I think Back the only the thing 60s. that I picked out was like, oh, she's wearing like mini skirts on TV kind of thing. Where <laughs> yeah, it's like, really? Yeah. But yeah, like back then, that must yeah. have been I know. groundbreaking. Oh, That's big time. And then amazing. there's George, I can't say his name, Takai, Takei. Right, yeah. Japanese American actor. He's and also on the bridge. Comes out later that, I mean, at the time, he wasn't out of the closet. But no, he's no. gay, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. He is, yeah. Yeah. So it's just this like, insane representation there so cool i know okay so star trek we're finally there you guys star trek so he had that whole thing crashing planes he's a policeman but he's really just writing for the beat (laughs) and he's you know he says i was tired of writing for shows where there was always a shootout in the last act and somebody was killed star trek was formulated to change that I had been a freelance writer for about a dozen years and was chafing at the commercial censorship on television. You really couldn't talk about anything you cared to talk about. It seemed to me that perhaps if I wanted to talk about sex, religion, politics, make some comments against Vietnam and so on, that if I had similar situations involving these subjects happening on other planets to little green people, indeed it might get by. And it did. So his idea was... um, Inspired a little bit, like, uh, from the sci-fi anthology series, The Twilight Zone and The Outer Limits, like, those kinds of shows. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he based the main character, Captain Kirk, on Horatio Hornblower from no, a I... famous, like, adventure series. So he wanted, yeah. like, a proper adventure kind of story. Right. The pitch. Okay. He pitched it as a space western <laughs> <laughs> with the focus on the human side of things, obviously. Um and but even though he pitched it as a space western, he didn't want space music. He wanted proper adventure music. Right? So okay. he's trying to kind of yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um he said the time could be nineteen ninety five or even two thousand nine hundred twenty nine ninety five. Um, close enough to our times for our continuing cast to be people like us, but far enough in the future for galaxy travel to be fully established. Right. And over the years his uh dates kind of kept changing but eventually he settles on the 23rd century okay for this to be happening okay so when he pitched it to mgm that was the first pitch i think they liked it but they didn't make him an offer okay then his agents approached desi lu studios little note about desi lu desi lu studios it came into existence i love lucy yeah it came into yeah existence because lucille ball and desi arnaz owned i love lucy it was the first time someone owned the rerun rights to a show. Whoa. CBS then, so I love Lucy. CBS then bought the rerun rights back for a million, million dollars. So Lucy and Desi bought RKO and turned it into Desi Lu Studios. RKO is a famous movie studio as well. Yeah. Back in the day. Um, when the couple split, Lucy got to re- keep the studio. Uh, but she wanted to, she needed more shows. And she wanted more dramatic shows. And she chose Star Trek because she thought it was different. And it was something they would own and would hopefully go into reruns. No freaking way. That's so cool. So they hired him 
as the producer. Sorry, they hired Gene as the producer, actually. They didn't just take the show and make it themselves, right? right. He was allowed to work on his own projects as well. Whoa. So Gene's like, yeah, let's do this. Yeah. Right? But he still approaches the head of programming at the time. His name was Oscar Katz to get help selling the series to the networks, right? So you have your studio that will make the thing, but you still have right. to sell it to CBS or NBC or anything, right? Yeah, to actually air it. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, CBS passed on it. Um, they were into sci-fi. They listened to the pitch. They're like, oh, this is interesting. But they only did it because they were going to do Lost in Space, their own sci-fi show. So they were kind of oh, like... okay. I yeah. never liked Lost in Space very much. Me neither. I could never get into it. And they keep redoing it a million times over. It's like, really? I know. Just let it die. <laughs> so they went to NBC, but they sold it less as a sci-fi show this time and more as a Western, kind of likening it to huge shows at the time, Gunsmoke and Wagon Train. Mm. And NBC was like, yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> Let's do this. Um, so Gene hired DC Fontana um, as his assistant. She had worked with him on The Lieutenant, that previous show in the 60s, okay. right? 63. Yep. Um. DC, a note on DC Fontana. She was a longtime writer on the original Star Trek series. She also co-wrote the Next Generation pilot with Roddenberry. Wow. And some episodes for Deep Space Nine, which is a more modern Star Trek show. Right. For anyone who doesn't know. Whoa. I think it's pretty cool that she was a writer. That's in, very like, cool. In the 60s. Like, that's... Yeah, like a female in that position is pretty right? impressive. Yeah. I know. So, she read the first proposal that Jean uh, wrote. And her only question was... Who's going to play Mr. Spock? <laughs> he, Gene showed her a pic picture of Leonard Nimoy. And again, he had worked with Leonard before. Right. And there's another source that said his future wife, Majel Barrett, who had also worked on The Lieutenant, I think, said like, hey, what about Leonard? You know, yeah. he's very, um, he has very kind of like unusual features. Yeah. Right? So when Gene was like, oh, yeah, he does look like a kind of alien Mm -hmm. You know, those cheekbones and everything. Yeah, like it wouldn't so, take much to, to convince yeah. people, right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So he was, at that point, he's like, no, it's going to be Leonard or nobody for Spock, right? Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I know we kind of were, I'll just be a little more descriptive what the show is because maybe people don't know. So Captain Kirk and the crew of the Starship Enterprise, <laughs> by the way, was named for the real life ship that turned the tide toward the Allies in the Battle of Midway, whatever that is. But if Whoa, you mean... okay. Yeah. Cool. So the Starship Enterprise roams the galaxy, um, clashing with alien enemies like the Klingons, Excalbians, and Romulans. I didn't even know that Excalbians was a thing. I didn't know either. I, mean, I didn't really watch Romulans. much of the original series, so I'm a little Me neither. Bit... The crew completes a five-year mission of scientific exploration and intergalactic diplomacy. They operate as part of a pseudo-militaristic organization called Starfleet, which itself is part of a larger diplomatic organization called the United Federation of Planets, or just the Federation. Oh, yeah. So it just kind of, like, a f there's so much about, um, a lot of episodes about, like, questioning rank, questioning the captain, right. going against the captain's orders or not. What do you mm -hmm. do? So making moral choices in the face of all of that authority and hierarchy and I'm like, oh, well, yeah, it makes sense. He came from military. Of course, he's got a military and police. background. Well, and it's even just in yeah. society, too. Yeah, where you're, of like, course, questioning, yeah. okay, the police are doing this, or they're telling right. me to do this in this position, but I don't believe in that. Yeah. And I don't think it's right, you know? And yeah. That's interesting, all the questions that come up with that. But because it you're, just you're makes sense now. Trained. I'm like, ah. Uh... 
to follow it, you know? Yeah, yeah that totally makes but sense. But it's amazing that it's not off-putting because I'm not a huge fan when no. it gets too, like, in military movies or whatever, where it's Same. just too much of the, like, you're going to listen to me, soldier, like, that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, you can't handle the truth or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> That's my oh only... My gosh. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So basically, it's a show that like really challenges racism, discrimination, and even war, right? Because they even had an episode that was like, that alluded to the Vietnam War, right? Mm -hmm. And is this interesting, you know, and but it was. Well, then you have people like like the Klingons that are like super war based, like much more of a violent, um, like warrior kind of culture that is like. You know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, just some fun behind the scenes kind of stuff. Um, so the production designer, Walter M. Jeffries, designed the Enterprise. Uh, I like this quote. He said, I had collected a huge amount of design material from NASA and the defense industry, which was used as an example of designs to avoid. We pinned all that material up on the wall and said, that we will not do. And also everything we could find on Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon, (laughs) which are really cheesy sci-fi shows, and said, that we will not do. (laughs) Um, And I think it's neat because they call the tubes that they can kind of walk through on Mm -hmm. the Enterprise Jeffrey's tubes. So it's named after him. Oh, no way. (laughs) Cool. Um, This is kind of a neat, I think this sums up the show, like the philosophy kind of like in a really profound way but um quote new aliens perennially confronted the crew yet the greatest danger kirk believed was irrational fear of the unknown which i think is Mm. one of the biggest themes that keeps coming up and i really appreciate that theme yeah well i think because super relevant in today's Mm -hmm. climate oh yeah just in life in general it's like that the unknown is that's the scariest thing for anybody on like a tiny small level yeah. just in your own life to like on the the world stage you know like the oh, whole a larger sure. scale right like it's yeah. the scariest thing um they even like he had the foresight it was kind of neat he said um keeping ahead of real life technology proved to be a challenge because they had to design like the spaceship and the yeah. um gadgets and everything um but they didn't have much of a budget so they really had to kind of get clever here right <laughs> yeah. But they still put thought into this. So the hand weapons carried by the crew were originally called lasers. But when Roddenberry realized that real-life lasers might become commonplace within a few years, he made a last-minute switch and called them phasers. He's like, (laughs) we didn't want people saying to us three years from now, oh, come on now, lasers can't do that. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, you got to make it feel a bit unreal so that people aren't questioning you all the time or not believing in the future. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's so funny. Um, The transporter. So in the show, they like transport transport people. Like just they turn into like little particles particles, and they're beamed onto another planet. Yeah. Yeah. The transporter was created to reduce production costs and to just get the story going faster. So it's not get in the shuttle driving for five hours, right? That's like <laughs> I love it. Oh my and it became such a thing. Like beam me up, yeah. Scotty. Like it's massive. Apparently, I think I read that that has never actually been said on the show in those really? words. Really? Apparently, yeah. Oh my gosh. Um oh my gosh, I wonder if I should make this a two parter. I have so much still. Ooh. Maybe I can quickly sum it up. Okay, so they do one pilot. Yeah, I'll just sum it up. There's a lot of really cool information. Okay. NBC wasn't having it. So 
but they actually let them make a second pilot right oh okay this time they recasted a bunch of people one of the things that ticked them off of roddenberry that ticked off roddenberry about the first pilot was that a woman was second in command so the lady he was having an affair with Majel mm-hmm. barrett who he later married and was married to her for the rest of his life um he made her second in command and the execs were like you can't cast a woman in a sec no you can cast a woman in a secretary's role or that of a housewife but not in a position of command over men. So that's how Spock became second in command, right? <laughs> yeah. But he had to fight to keep Spock in the show too. Jeez. He's like, he has to be in the show. Yeah. So Spock makes it to the next pi- pilot number two, right? And he's like, what script do we choose? And NBC decides on the script called Where No Man Has Gone Before. Ah. And... Roddenberry wrote that with the help of Samuel A. Peoples. And uh, the show went into production in 1965, and NBC bought it in 1966 to be included in the fall schedule. Okay. Um, Gene says the second pilot was greenlit because it ends in a fist fight <laughs> and the villain dies. So it's like, you know, what they it's want. Like, yeah, yeah. It's the formula and he's that like, they want. Yeah. yeah. But he's like, once the show was on the air, though, that's when we snuck in all of the things that's we wanted key, to talk right? about. You got to yeah. play the game to a degree and then yeah. you can do your own thing. Yeah. <laughs> so it debuted on September 8th, 1966. It was one of the first color television shows. And one of the first to engage in continuity or like a backstory. So like um, it wasn't like super, what's the word, episodic or like there was actual continuity where There's like if something happens to like this character, going it goes through. to the next. Oh, mm-hmm. no way. Really? I know. That didn't yes. exist before that? <laughs> Whoa. Um, five bef- days before the first broadcast, Roddenberry appeared at the 24th World Science Fiction Convention and previewed Where No Man Has Gone Before. He got a standing ovation. No way. The first episode to air on TV, though, was The Man Trap. The series had low ratings from the start, and Roddenberry was concerned, so he got a bunch of his writer friends to write in to save the show. Executives claim that that was a wasted effort. They were going to renew the show anyway. Right. But, so, yeah. Season two, the show was still struggling, but when news spread to the fans that the show might be canceled again. Yeah. Uh, or just at all they wrote a bunch of letters and i think this was like the first example of like a mass write-in kind of thing to save a show the fans all like mobilized they got like i think a thousand students from across the country came to the studio were protesting it was this whole thing that's crazy because i actually thought that was a much newer invention like i know they did it with drama and right, yeah. Brooklyn Nine Nine, they did it with. Right, like, yeah. No, some of those stuff <laughs> that's much more recent. And I was like, yeah. oh, that must be new because people have technology. They can email or they can like tweet or yeah. they can. But remember know. my thing on fan fiction how Star Trek was one of the first ones where the fans got together and they used the internet and they talked right. to each other and shared fiction with each other. Yeah. So it was one of the first like rabid fan bases in the like ever in yeah. entertainment history, right? So, but I think it's interesting because looking at like the different um, elements that came together to make it and the all the different social aspects of it that he's talking yeah. about, it gave a lot of people a lot of things to talk about with oh, each other for sure. and to debate and to get on board yeah. with and to like exactly you know like it, it there's a lot of substance there compared to too bad it you was know, a flop. Mr. District Attorney. <laughs> <laughs> so unfortunately, even though they were, they managed to get it 
there for third season um lucille ball was just screwed over uh she basically lost her studio because of star trek she had gambled oh, no. on the show and during the second season she had to sell desilu to paramount pictures oh she no. gave up on the studio that she and her husband built um it's all she had left of her marriage and she sacrificed that for star trek oh paramount comes in it's super corporate nobody likes it they are not happy yeah on the set anywhere um but season two interestingly is where leonard nimoy and the director worked out the vulcan salute the famous like ah little yeah just google vulcan live long salute. and prosper and live long and prosper yep that saying they worked on it. Do it more difficulties roddenberry often rewrote scripts causing major fallouts with the writers they were ticked oh. off he did this like three or four times and people were like writers on next gen were just leaving on mass it was I huge it's crazy they were that. ticked yeah. off yeah that would be brutal i kind of don't know if i disagree because i'm like he has a vision for this thing and if you totally. start like messing around with it I'm like, i just you know. think it's like the bigger as somebody who works in the industry yeah. like it can be very difficult for people because it's not yeah. just that you're rewriting a script it's not just like the words that people are saying but mm -hmm. you're changing sets you're changing all this stuff and you're doing it last yeah. minute because you're still expecting them to stay on schedule with everything yeah which yeah. means that everybody has to shift everything and even just and that creative thing of panic. like this is a good story it's gonna work you yeah. know like the one of the most popular episodes of next generation gene roddenberry hated it Oh, really? absolutely hated it but they fought for it and they insisted on it the other writers yeah. and producers and they got it on and yeah, yeah so yeah they're not always right but anyway yeah so um sorry where was that third season okay so second season they were threatening all the stuff there was that thing and gene was tired of fighting for the show he's like oh i've had it and so he steps away from the show even though he's still credited as executive producer he's like i'm done Okay. The third season bombed big time. Nobody really likes it, but it had the um, first scripted interracial kiss on American TV. The first kiss ever on TV, interracial kiss on TV was a British soap. But in America, it was on Star Trek season three no where way. Kirk kisses Lieutenant Uhura. Cool. Mind, I saw the clip of it though. It looked so reluctant between both the actors where i'm like oh, no. is this a positive thing i'm a little <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nevertheless <laughs> the show was canceled Feb i'm almost done the show was canceled february 1969 the last episode aired 47 days before the moon landing and roddenberry oh. declared that he would never write for television again which is not true yeah. so <laughs> <laughs> okay so this is interesting the show was canceled it flopped but then it went into syndication right yeah and it says here by 1986 nearly two decades after it entered syndication ac nielsen co listed star trek the original series as the number one syndicated show that's 1986 right Whoa. that same year roddenberry launched a second tv series star trek the next generation which was immediately syndicated and became a ratings hit whoa so it's that's all crazy, through though, reruns that it became popular. Because that's 20 years later. Yeah. Yeah. So the first Star Trek convention wow. that they had was in 1973. Oh, right? my so gosh. This is like already like what? When was it canceled again? Uh, 69. Yeah. Yeah. So then they had 72, I guess, the first one. They had 6,000 attendees. But then the next year, they had 15,000 attendees. Whoa. Right. So Paramount was like, cha-ching, yeah, they're still fans, bastards. let's yeah. make a movie. 
So they hired Roddenberry to create the feature film. It was released in 1975. There was a whole mess with all the movies and this and that and controversies. I'm not going to get into it. Yeah. So personal life, again, I don't really want to talk about it. People criticize him for all the, again, the affairs. And I'm like, eh, Mm -hmm. it is what it is. Um, I don't know anything about it. So, Um, so after, like, so between Next Generation and Star Trek, he kept trying to work on other pilots and other shows and feature films, and they were all kind of not, they didn't really go anywhere. He didn't have much success. So he actually had to start, um, making his, getting money for alimony and stuff, (laughs) um, through talks and going to and convention appearances and stuff like that like uh, so okay he had to get kind of creative there yeah i mean fair enough um, like he created the whole thing and he might as well be making money from it at the star trek conventions yeah so just to like his difficulties it's not just the like relationship stuff apparently he would fight with everyone okay. um didn't really work well with anyone he people said he wanted to have a ton of control he was also notoriously hostile um during the production of the movie and next generation apparently okay um so yeah i don't know one person actually said gene roddenberry was a sexist manipulative person who disregarded women um she's also spoken of his tendency to inappropriately share dirty or kinky sexual stories um yeah, and it was just, this was all from one article that was, like, adamant about, like, just tearing into Gene Roddenberry. Right, okay. So take it um, with a grain of salt. But a lot of people, it's... I mean, I'm sure there was stuff, but it honestly didn't sound worse than, you know, it didn't it's, sound like he was a I Harvey mean, Weinstein walking around. I mean, to be fair, having, like, currently working in the film industry, if people mm. knew, like, half of the crap that goes on Ugh. on your favorite tv shows like yeah it's like we're just terrible human beings it's, it's just a, it's ego, a, ego 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 you can watch like industry that series on the nef def on the netflix um that about the movies the movies that made us or i don't mm-hmm. know whatever yeah they'll totally go into like the ego and some of the interviews they're just so yeah. egotistical they're like why do i have to say my name people know who i am i'm like whoa yeah check that ego yeah i have people i've encountered people like that like some sound guy or whatever the lighting guy like don't you know who i am i'm like yeah i do and i don't care like you're the lighting guy like you might be good at what you do but really give me a break do you know who i am even if yeah exactly that's the worst when they get to that level i'm like i'm out it's brutal anyway so um he had a chance so after all these this and that he uh got to work on next generation star trek next generation which like i said started in 1986 um his son said that the series was the purest expression of his trek vision i think next gen was his chance to get it right i think that was the bookend to my father's life i think that was his star trek at that point in his life um that show was a lot more philosophical and that kind of thing Anyway, so he had a lot of health issues. He apparently did, like, various drugs, um, a lot of them, like, to kind of get through the work day, you know, okay. that kind of a drug problem, like, not, yeah. like, not cocaine like or anything like that. Not to, party or whatever. But, no, no, yeah. no, yeah. Not to defend, but whatever. Um, he had a stroke <laughs> in 1989, then another one in 1991. He was on his way to a doctor's appointment when he suffered from 
Um, I think it was a heart attack, and he died shortly afterwards. Um, his wife managed to get there in time to be by his side. Oh, that's nice. In 1992, some of his ashes were flown into space on the space shuttle Columbia. Cool. Then returned to Earth. Then they apparently sent more ashes up into space, and then they were going to do it again. A whole thing. But Okay, well, it started out sounding pretty cool, but like... <laughs> like what okay yeah well. very that's cool though i think it's crazy that he died <laughs> in the early 90s it was in the middle of next gen there's an yeah. episode where you see like in memory or whatever it is right yeah because next gen kept going for quite a while like i'm and surprised he was actually, that it actually started so early yeah he actually stepped back they say quietly i think as much as early as season one even so wow. he really wasn't as involved as but pe- this production wanted to keep his name on right to keep people of course feeling because yeah. if his name was attached to the project it would work and there were times in his career where as soon as he backed out of something the whole thing would shut down it was like yeah. oh without gene we're not going to bother right which is how it so. works with a lot of things. Like, right. like, we need to attach your name to it. <laughs> but they didn't want to attach his name when the original Star Trek bombed, right? So right. it's like he yeah. had a whole roller coaster life. And so anyway, I hope they gave people some insight into that was Star Trek and maybe why so people like it. Awesome. It was a lot. I know. I'm sorry. No, I so much. loved it. That was so good. I also, I think, I didn't mention it at the beginning, but I kept wanting to say the thing that I love the most is like, hearing his progression of the different jobs that he did and the different careers and the full training yeah. that he had to do like to be a pilot you have to do a ton of training mm-hmm. like you're dedicating oh, sure. that chunk of your life to it and to mm-hmm. be a cop same thing like mm-hmm. these are these things and I loved seeing that maybe it's because I'm struggling with like what I want to do with my career and my businesses right. and all this kind of stuff that yeah. it was really interesting to see that and see that he was actually successful at so many different things even though he struggled and even in between the tv stuff he struggled obviously right like but just that it is possible to to still achieve things he's just it sounds very like a regular guy with a he just passion for something had an idea for things yes with all of his careers where he was like i want to fly so he had an idea and he saw it through and he did it and the cop thing and writing and all that kind of stuff it's like yeah, and taking just opportunity when it was kind of there presented yeah. it wasn't like you know that sometimes there's those like stories that make me feel you know that inadequate thing of like oh i worked 17 jobs and i knocked on every door and blah yeah. blah blah i fought my way and sometimes i'm like i'm not gonna do that <laughs> no exactly that like that's he's like i'm gonna be a cop i need some money yeah. oh i'm gonna write for the newspaper <laughs> Yeah, and, like, getting to the point where it's like, okay, I think I could actually make a career out of this. And then, but still having to do the work of pitching and all that kind of stuff. But having to make that decision of leaving the normal, quote, unquote, normal job. And then still worrying about money. After Star Trek, he was, like, constantly, you know, he really had, didn't know where his next paycheck was coming from. He, like, not that it was, like, super poor. It's just, it wasn't a comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I just th- thought it was a it was a much more realistic, um, yeah, representation of how things actually happen, right? Versus us, like all the stuff we hear about people, it's like all of a sudden they always had a passion for writing, and so that's what they <laughs> decided to do with their lives. And it's like, no, but tell us 
Like, they still had to do other jobs before then. Yeah. And it wasn't so clear-cut. It wasn't this thing. Exactly. You know, that they were dreaming since they were six. And it wasn't a Cinderella story of, like, oh, I slept in my car and suddenly I'm a huge comedian and I'm a billionaire. Exactly. great. But that's also not very, like, common. Yeah. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that was just refreshing. I also, yeah, I just wanted to know, like, okay, I like watching Next Gen, but should I be watching this (laughs) show like what was the creator all about right like yeah. what was the message i wanted to know what i'm watching like you know yeah and i'm actually happy with the message still I think. yeah i think that's interesting like i definitely like it added another layer of things you know an mm-hmm. extra depth to all of it right because it is still at the end of the mm-hmm. day a tv show but of i course, loved yeah. learning that the first one especially was so groundbreaking in certain ways that and that he fought for it that he fought for it was interesting yeah. to me yeah and i'm i'm glad at least he fought for something good yeah right? so that was good enough awesome. for me <laughs> yay i love that Ooh, i want to go watch star trek now <laughs> sounds fun <laughs> okay guys thanks for listening uh remember to like subscribe and review um you can follow us on instagram we are at podcast.or.something or you can write to us at podcast or something at gmail.com. And we will talk to you later or something. Bye. Bye.